Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I want to offer all of you listeners my thoughts on Thursday's action at the 2022 Cleveland Challenger. I am so fortunate to be on the grounds for all of the action, and that means not only do I get to watch these matches unfold, I've had the opportunity to speak informally with just about every player remaining in the draw. Now, I'm hoping to get all of those players on camera to be able to offer all of you listeners some cracked interviews podcasts over the next few days so that you can hear from each of these Cleveland Challenger competitors. But of course, on today's show, I want to share the insights I gleaned from my conversations with these players, as well as offer my thoughts on both the round of 16 singles matches that unfolded and the quarterfinals doubles matches that unfolded. Because I have to say, it is nice to be around some high quality doubles once again. And there are a lot of familiar faces, former college tennis greats, competing here at the Cleveland Challenger. I want to offer my thoughts on the development I see from all of them, once again, proving why college tennis continues to be a fantastic pathway to the professional tennis ranks. Of course, have to give a huge shout out and thank you to my friends on the top-notch management team, and in particular, Sam Duvall, uh, Sam's lovely wife, of course, Kyle Ross, as well, Alex Guthrie. They've treated me like family. They've allowed me access, full access to this event, and I could not be more grateful for that fact. I also get to double up. Not only am I covering all of the action, I get to play the role of MC for all of the night sessions. That means I get to introduce players onto the court, and they've given me some creative liberty. They've given me the freedom to try and be funny, trying to engage not only these players, but the crowds as well. And it's been a really fun time, particularly considering we're, you know, trying to weather out, uh, no pun intended, an ice storm here in the Midwest. And, you know, hope all of you listeners who are impacted by these winter storms are staying safe, staying healthy, staying warm. Certainly, if these help podcasts help you stay occupied during these storms, we uh, are more than that, you know, that's all the role we can ask to Phil here at Cracked Rackets, but despite these ice storms, despite the road conditions, we still had, you know, 100 people at last night's action, and we had over 150, I would say, uh, during Wednesday night's matches as well. So a huge shout-out to this top-notch management team. They're making this event special. Every player you speak with to a T speaks so fondly about not only the you know action here in Cleveland, but of course the accommodations made by the top-notch team from the hotel, the food, uh, all of the above. They are going above and beyond here Uh and you know, too too frequently we can't we aren't able to say that about challenger level events. Now there are plenty that do go above and beyond, and a shout out to all of them. But certainly Cleveland qualifies for that category. So shout out to the top notch management team for the the work they do. But again. Here on this show, I want to talk through the round of 16 matches I saw in singles in particular. I want to offer you my doubles thoughts at the end as well. Of course, I do apologize for the fact that I haven't offered you all a mini break podcast yet about the action happening at the ATP level this week. Now, rest assured, 
I'm going to do that here on Friday. You're all going to be able to hear my thoughts as I was able to catch up on most of the tennis yesterday. Of course, we've also recorded our recaps of the 2022 ITA kickoff weekend. We recorded the women's recap on Tuesday night. If you haven't, go watch that on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Super producer Daniel Westoff has made our first Crack Rackets TV show, and the work he does uh, puts into that show week in, week out. Folks, I promise you it will be well worth the watch. Of course, you can go hear it here on this Great Shot podcast feed as well, but you want to see our smiling faces. You more than anything want to see the incredible production work being put in by super producer Daniel Westoff. Again, a women's recap every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We did our men's recap Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be the operating time moving forward each and every week as well. So you want to check out any of that action. Remember, you can do so on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You can also go listen back to the episodes here on the Great Shot podcast feed. Uh, one last thing I want to say, you'll have heard this if you watch those shows. I have to give a huge shout out to our newest sponsor here at Crack Rackets. Those are our friends at Swing Vision. And folks, it's very, very simple. If you want to get better at tennis, if you want a way to feasibly document each and every hitting session and then have that film to go back and see what did I do right, what did I do wrong, our friends at Swing Vision have the app for you. Now, if you go to their website, you're going to create a username, then you're going to go on your phone, you're going to download the app, you can get started right away. And of course, if you use our promo code CRACK20 when signing up, you're going to get a free 14-day pro membership as well as $20 off your purchase. I'm telling you folks, personal testimonial. We use this on our last club tennis trip in Miami last fall. One of our buddies brought it out on his phone. All of us were like, give me your phone. I want to record my session. Give me your phone. I want to record my session. It works. I don't know how else to say it, folks. It is the best appliance out there. So go to Swing Vision, learn more. I promise you that will be a worthwhile spending of what, 5, 10, 15 minutes? There's a winter storm outside. So, you know, eventually the storm will pass. And when it does, you're going to want to get on the tennis court. Now's the time to figure out when you do get on the tennis court, how do you put yourself in the best position to succeed moving forward? I think our friends at Swing Vision will be able to help you do just that. But enough with the plugs, enough with the promos. Let's talk about Thursday's action at the 2022 Cleveland Challenger. And the place I want to start is a place we've started many a podcast here at Cracked Rackets over the years. That's, of course, with the only 10-time All-American and probably only 10-time All-American forever in college tennis history. Of course, that's former UNC great Will Blumberg, recently graduated from the Tar Heels and now is, is experiencing life out on the Pro Tour. And, of course, for all of us Will Blumberg fans, and look— I have been accused uh, – accused, that's the wrong connotation. I ha it has been said that I am a Will Blumberg slappy, that I am on the Will Blumberg bandwagon. Here's what I would counter to that fact. First of all, Will has been immensely kind, immensely kind, and not just Will. The entire Blumberg family has been extraordinarily kind to us here at Crack Racket. So yes, of course I'm going to feel fondly about Will and his family. They've treated me as such in the Gruskin household. You treat me like family. You become my family. So Will Blumberg. Like it or not, he is the extended tennis family here. But B, you guys understand this, I imagine. I started this podcast in the summer of 2017. Summer of 2017 was the first, you know, was the summer after Will's freshman season at UNC. And that freshman season, he lost two matches, right? His first dual match, I believe, and then in the NCAA singles final to Ty Kwiatkowski. That UNC team made the NCAA tournament final despite losing Braden Schnur the year prior. And they had just beaten Virginia, snapped their ACC streak the year before at the National Indoors and were the National Indoors champion. Point being, 
the ascension and rise of Will Blumberg and Carolina Tennis, which really starts 2016, 2017, all the way through last season, that is the start of my crack rackets and podcasting and tennis media career. So the very first thing I've covered and the thing I've covered most closely in my career is Will Blumberg. I could argue I have a PhD in all things Will Blumberg tennis. I was there, you know, 2019 National Indoors in Chicago when he was horribly injured and coming off of that injury. And you could just tell he was at that number one single spot as a placeholder for the rest of his team. And yet you saw the fight there from Blumberg, who was coming off of a sophomore season where he was unequivocally the best player in college tennis, despite the fact Hrisokos, Goyo, Wake Forest ultimately sweep, you know, the NCAA team title, NCAA singles, final positions. But Will was the guy that year, and that was my first season. And, you know, again, I was there in 2020 when his UNC team were the unequivocal favorites in the national indoor finals against USC and dropped that match to the Trojans. I was then there last year when UNC gets the job done, and you could see the relief on Will's face. The point is, I've been there for all of the moments. So why do I continue to cover Will so closely? Because I have a vested interest in his success. That's my guy. That's the guy we've covered here at Cracked Rackets. And as such, it's fantastic to see Will healthy again as he sets out on this uh, professional tennis career. And of course, for all of us uh, down the home stretch of last season, if you were following what Will was doing, I believe he won four different challenger titles in doubles with his now doubles partner and partner here this week, Max Schnur. He also wins that ATP title in Newport with Jack Sock right away. And that, 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 you know, passes the sniff test, right? Because the moment Will Blumberg walked into college tennis, with all due respect to the many, many talented doubles players out there, Will was the best guy. And it was just about finding a partner that could maximize those things. And by the way, that's why he's a 10-time All-American. He, you know, whether it was Robert Kelly that first year and watching that, those two play, Will was the best player on the court and Robert was the, you know, the best mentally, just had an edge over everyone else. And that's why those two had so much success. And then Will got that edge and him and Bo Boyden, ton of success. Him and Cernok, they were awesome. And I would say Kelly was probably the best mentally fit for Will Bo had the biggest serve, Brian was the best player, and now he's got Schnur. And man, like Schnur is the perfect complement to Will Blumberg, but we'll talk about the doubles later. Point being, and I know that was a long tangent there on Will Blumberg and my coverage of him, I do apologize for that fact. Hopefully you listeners care to hear those things. But I've seen what Will is capable of. I was there at the 2020 National Indoors where you know he beats NCAA defending champion Paul Jubb really comfortably in a win over South Carolina and then you know beats McNally pretty comfortably of Ohio State in the semifinals. Brandon Holt was deathly ill. Blumberg beat him in about 10 minutes as such to put a quick point on the board for the Tar Heels, try to neutral things out in that National Indoor final. Then last year when he willed himself despite not playing well, whether it was dropping first love, uh, set six love to Adam Walton against Tennessee and you know then against Adrian Boyton of Baylor you know not playing his best but manages to win that match in straight sets give his team that third point so that when Cernok wins that's the ultimate clinch for the team the point being um, all of these guys all these guys can play uh, you know the, the point being for Will he's proven time after time even when not healthy he can compete with the best of the best in college tennis now he is healthy and obviously he's trying to make that jump compete with the best of the best on the pro circuit and you look for Will he didn't play many singles matches last year because he wasn't able to get those opportunities to go play at the challenger level and you know he didn't make the choice because of where his double success was to go play futures events in singles he decided to ride the double success and he ends up having you know he's closing in now it's really really hard to 
crack the top 100 of the doubles rankings on only challenger success. But of course, Will's got that ATP title in his back pocket. Now four challenger titles. He and Schnur making a push. You can understand that scheduling decision by Will. But now that he is going after singles here in 2022, and he said that to us on a broadcast we did in the fall where, you know, Will said, look, I'm I will go play futures events this year. I will go play, you know, all of these different things if I have to because I want to see if I can make a top 100 singles push as opposed to just doubling down and following where my ranking would lead me to become top 100 in doubles. And all of that said, that's why this tournament is of particular importance for Will because you look for him entering this match, he has no points on his resume. He has nothing. He was unranked entering the tournament. Gets a wild card from the top-notch team. I think that's a very good decision by them. Always appreciate those in, in North America and across the country who, you know, respect the value of college tennis, try to bring guys like Blumberg in. Of course, it is worth mentioning. I believe Blumberg is represented by top-notch management, but still love to see Blumberg in the draw, and he's made the most of his wild card. Now, he did not play well in his first-round win over Roberto Quiroz. Played a good first set, 6-4, but then played incredibly tentative tennis down the home stretch of the second set because you could tell like he did not want to lose this match. He understands how many points a challenger first round victory is worth compared to even a futures, you know, quarterfinal or semifinal appearance. And so you could see that pressure for Will in match number one. And to see him yesterday play the first set that he did against Emilio Gomez, we've come full circle here, folks. Now we're going to talk about this Thursday match. That's the Will Blumberg that I saw throughout his college tennis career. That's the Will Blumberg who says, I'm playing on my terms. I'm hitting the first serve exactly on spot, and there's going to be a ton of action on that serve. And if you watch Will hit a serve, he's just one of those people blessed and gifted with one of those shoulders and one of those wrists where the kick that he puts when he wants to hit a kick serve out wide on the ad side, that ball is not only bouncing shoulder height, that ball is bouncing outside of the alley. And whether he wants to go slice wide or kick tee or you know, flat into your body on the deuce side as well. He's got all the spots on serve. And then with that serve, it sets up the plus one forehand. And I don't know if it's the biggest plus one forehand I've ever seen, but the decisiveness with which Will hits his plus one forehand and the accuracy and the depth and the pace and the heaviness of that forehand ball, there's a room, there's place for it in the top 100. Will can hold serve on his terms when he's serving well with the best of the best. And yesterday, he was serving well. Now, he was taking on another USC Trojan, beats Kiroz in three sets round one, actually faces his cousin, Emilio Gomez, in round number two. And I want to be clear, Emilio Gomez was not healthy going into this match. And ultimately, Will earns a 6-1-3-1 victory. Gomez retiring in that second set. I believe it was a back issue for him. You could just tell, wasn't feeling his best throughout the course of that match. But Will made him pay for that fact. And, you know, to to not – you can't make excuses. You can only play the person who's across the net from you. And watching Will in that first set, I believe he dropped f- uh, five total points on serve uh, in the entire match in particular. But I believe he dropped two in the first set. It, it, that's the Will Blumberg who just plays on his term and, and who dominates and hits that big first forehand and follows the ball in. And Will is not only a volleyer who knows what to do with his first volley and you know is not only comfortable covering the net, but he is just a good volleyer, whether it's the drop volley, the deep volley. His first volley, along with the plus one forehand, again, it's an elite combination of serve plus one forehand covering everything at the net and instincts at the net and feel at the net as well. And look – Is Will the most fleet of foot? No, he's not. But he anticipates well. 
He's excellent at finding forehands in that ad side corner, which is what he wants to do best. And, you know, again, I think he moves well enough. Like, I do think he's got a very good, powerful first step. I think he anticipates well. Now, again, elite movement. No one will ever accuse Will of being elite in terms of fleet of foot. But movement will not be an issue for Will Blumberg moving forward. Now, movement, you know, the backhand in particular, it's a little condensed, not the most action on the ball, although he drives it with depth, can go line, can go go cross, can play slice, got good feel on his slice as well. Now, I think the problem for him is defensively, you know, sometimes that backhand, he'll leave it a little bit short. When he's on the run in particular, he'll leave that ball short. Uh, But I do think Again, I don't think the backhand is a vulnerability, and I do think years of doubles points where you know every time it was a deuce point in college, Will would deuce point. All right, returns going to Blumberg's side. You can just see how effective he is on the serve and the return and those first four shots in the rally, which math tells us are the most important shots in tennis. There's an efficiency to Will's game; it's undeniable, and he's going to get in the top 300. You know, I think he's going to get into the top 200 with a full season of challenger play. It's just a question of can he get into challenger level events? Will he be willing to go play futures level events? He says he is. I would say this to his face, so I don't mind saying it here. I'm still a bit skeptical because, look, Will Blumberg's been the guy. He's played junior Wimbledon. He's played junior slams. He was the guy in college, right? And so, you know, the appeal of going to Decatur, the appeal of going to, you know, Little Rock, all these play. Oh, Little Rock has a challenger, so that's a bad one. Of Fayetteville, of, you know, all these little towns, Joplin, Missouri. Like, is Will going to be willing to do that? That's a big question. But for him to reach the quarterfinals here at a challenger and put himself back in the mix and, you know, at the very least now he's back in the top 1,000, which is something, I suppose, and something's always better than nothing. Back up to number 905 with his results here this week. One more win, by the way, for Will. He's all the way back up. Let's see. He knocks out Nishioka today. He's all the way back up into the top 750. Should Will win the challenger title this week, which I'm not saying he will, no pun intended, but let's just say it's in play. That would get him up to 80 points in total. If he wins the challenger this week, he will already be jumped all the way up to, let's see, number 450 in the world. That's much more likely. Like that, and, and if you're 450 in the world now, for sure, you know, you're getting into futures, but now you can maybe get into challenger qualities. You're right on that bubble, depending on the strength of the draw. And certainly if you're 450, but you have a challenger title as your one result of the year, you're much more likely to get that wild card from the people hosting the challenger. And of course, ultimately, you got to get into that Grand Slam qualifying range, right? If you're not playing Grand Slam qualities, you're just not going to get into the top 100 unless you're Talon Greek Sport or Benjamin Bonzi who's winning, you know, six plus challenger titles in any given season. Blumberg's not there yet, but his game belongs in the challenger mix. Again, the serve, the forehand, they're just going to overwhelm lesser opponents and the decisiveness with which he plays. His ability to, even when it's not these long rallies, just ultimately get the point on his terms, even if he's not the guy you expect to play the the 10, the 15 shot rally. Some people just know how to work a tennis point. Will is one of those people. I'm telling you, I remain as high on Will Blumberg as I ever have. You look for him yesterday, it was really, really good. Dropped three points on the first serve in total, 15 of 18. It was six ser- points on serve, excuse me, not five. Six points on serve as he's eight of 11 on second serve points as well. Now, again, it wasn't Gomez's best day, and I will say for Will, he gets a Yoshihita Nishioka now who won the Columbus Challenger last week and looked spent at the end of his match on Thursday. We'll get to that a little bit later. This is an opportunity for Will. 
And to get even into the top 750, like again, semifinals here at the Challenger. Now you're justifying to some people, well, you know, we haven't seen Will play singles in a while. In a while, Why would we give him a wild card? Well, look at this Columbus result he had to start the season. Now that he is refocused, revamped, and I do think he's gotten, he's slimmed down a bit. And you can tell he's focused on getting this singles career launched. I know that's a long 15 minutes there on Will Blumberg, and it's not new information to any of you listeners. But in case you had forgotten about Blumberg, don't. Because you look for Will. Again, I, I just think he's coming, folks. Uh, overall now, you got to keep in mind, yes, he's 24 years old, just turned 24, but he just turned 24. There's a physical maturity to him. I know it's early in his pro career and injuries have been a problem, but 24 years old and it's just – it reminds you of the 24 – I don't want to say of Stevie coming out of college because Stevie won 70, what, two matches in a row or something crazy and back-to-back NCAA titles. Obviously, Will didn't do that. But I feel the same way I did about Nuno or the same way I did about, you know, all these guys who have recently come out of college and have found their way pretty quickly to the top 300, to the top 250, into that top 200, top 100 Grand Slam qualifying push. And I think Blumberg gets there sooner than later. I think if he has the opportunity to play a full season of challengers, I want to see him on the clay, obviously. But I think grass court, his goal is to get into those grass court uh, challengers and that's going to be immensely difficult to do because those draws are loaded because everyone's looking for grass court challengers. But if he can get into a Nottingham or a Sir Bergeton or whatever it's called, any of those England grass court challengers, I think that's a surface will hit where his game will thrive. Of course, Newport, I think, is a place where he will get wild cards throughout the course of the year. That's obviously close to home for him. Man, I'm in. I'm Blumberg. It's just great to see him have success once again and be healthy. And so I think this matchup with Nishioka, it's must-watch stuff. And again, you look for Will throughout the course of his career. It's worth remembering this, you know, despite the fact that it's been a while, this is not the first challenger quarterfinal for him. You look for Blumberg and you got to go back to, I believe it was after that freshman season for him when he was healthy. Yeah, summer of 2017 when he made the semifinals of Binghamton and, you know, knocked off a Dennis Kudla and, you know, loses to Jordan Thompson in three sets. That's 2017. We're now five years later, four and a half years later. Will is a better player now than he was then. Is he as healthy now as he was then? That's certainly the question for us moving forward. But I want to see more of Will Blumberg. I do want to see him go play at the Futures. I think it would be good for him to go rip off 15 straight wins like Paul Jubb has done or you know three straight titles and just rack up a ton of success. But look, the, the doubles ranking is too good. And Will has expectations. He wants to be at the big events. He wants to be playing these sorts of stages. Certainly a result like this helps him do that with more frequency. Again, was did you learn that much about Will in a 6-1-3-1 win over someone who was not at their best? Maybe not. But just a reminder to everyone that Will does have that gear that, all right, you're not at your best, then I'm going to dominate you here today. But that's match number one. That's enough on Blumberg. Let's go to Lexi Galarno now, another one of our former favorites here at Cracked Rackets. Obviously, Lexi Galarno, former All-American uh, at NC State, graduated last season as well. And, you know, I tweet this out all the time, but AGs stick together. Alexis Galarno, Alex Gruskin, Alex Guthrie. I can go, on, you know, Al Gore. That's my guy. Um, I could go on and on and on. Point being, Lexi has always been immensely kind. Another guy, too kind to our Cracked Rackets team over the years. And thus, all these college guys, it's great to see them have success here out on the Pro Tour. Now, you look for Lexi, who makes his fifth Grand Slam, uh, Grand Slam, fifth, excuse me, challenger quarterfinal of his career. Did it last season in Cleveland as well. Great for him to follow that result with another quarterfinal here. 
you know, for Lexi, he's played so many challenger events over the past season. And, you know, he's gone the hard route. He's played qualifying. You look for him dating back to last year, qualifies in Cleveland, ends up making the quarterfinals. Other places he qualified, qualifies in Little Rock, qualifies in Cary, qualifies in St. Troops, qualifies in Cassis, qualifies in uh, Columbus at the end of last season, or gets a lucky loser in, I should say. But, uh, you know, goes to, to Lima at the end of the season, gets a lucky loser in there, tries to qualify in Knoxville last week. Loses 7-6 in the third to Nicolas Maya in, qualifies, uh, in qualifying of Columbus. He has tried to make that push because, you know, he's proven it at the futures level. And he's ready to, you know, he's in that, he's already top 400. You look for Lexi 375 coming into the year. He's in that vomit zone, right, where you can't quite get into challengers. Uh, but you, you don't want to play the futures because the points there are so marginal at this spot of the rankings. And so he's tried to do it the hard way. And that's, you got to give him so much credit. And he comes through qualifying here again in Cleveland. Gets wins over Gosita, a win over Nick Hart, then six and six over Ulysses Blanche in round number one. Now one in five victory for him, six one seven five again over number four seed Liam Brody to advance to the quarterfinals. And I'll say this: I've seen a lot of Lexi Galarno over the years. And look, I think for Will, it's a little easier because you know he's six two or you know maybe a little over that. And the serve, the forehand, they're weapons for sure for Lexi doesn't manufacture pace as simply it's not as you know clear cut of a game style as it is for will blumberg you don't know exactly what lexi's going to do match in match out to find victories but i actually think that's a major strength of alexi galarno and you look for him yesterday i mean liam brody did not play well i think it's worth saying that but part of the reason he did not play well is because lexi took away everything brody was trying to do and brody the lefty uh you know wants to hit that heavy forehand into your backhand lexi did such a good job of using his speed and his center of gravity to take that ball early on the rise and use all of the top spin brody was providing to drive that ball back with pace and depth and action and then it was galarno who's doing you know he i think he won those exchanges and he was the one changing direction going down the line with his backhand or you know when they were going forehand for lexi to backhand of Brody it was Lexi who would go down the line or Lexi who would be the one moving forward and I have to say you know it it was so interesting because I think Brody's a guy who on his backhand wing he also wants to absorb the topspin of the righty opponent and redirect those balls down the line with pace and Galarno wasn't letting him do that. Galarno was driving the ball, hitting with depth or changing direction, not just hitting these cookie cutter rally, you know, heavy topspin balls for Brody to find rhythm on and change direction with and get to the net on. And, you know, again, all the credit in the world for Lexi for that. And it does look like, again, having seen him over the years, A, he looks healthy, which he was not throughout the course of last season at the college ranks. But B, I think he put on some muscle. This offseason, he clearly has been in the gym because he does look a little bit bigger. He does look a little bit stronger. That first serve, a little bit more pop, and you look for him. Again, whether it was against Ulysses Blanche, you know, faced two break points, was broken once, won 77% of his first serve points, 56% of his second serve points. Yesterday against Brody, won 86% of his first serve points, 54% of his second serve points, despite making only 52% of his first serves. He was not broken in the match against Brody, and that was because he hit his spots so well and was so effective with his first ball decisions, whether it was changing directions, hitting behind Brody, short angles. He just used the entire playbook. And I do want to say this because being here in person, very different than watching a live stream. 5-6, Liam Brody serving, 15-30, they're playing a rally, Brody laces a forehand down the line, ball was so clearly on the line. 
so clearly on the line. It's skid. It was a beautiful shot from Brody. Uh, lines person calls it out. Brody was irate. Brody was not happy with the call and kind of looks at Lexi like, you saw that ball. And, you know, Lexi's kind of looking to the crowd like, what did you guys think? And, you know, you want to be honest to him at the same time. You don't want to put him in a position where he feels guilty because the match is the match and you want them to play on their terms and you don't want to play a role as someone watching the match. But that ball is undeniably in. And Brody kind of looks at Lexi and Lexi's like, dude, I can't give you that point. Like, I have two match points now. Like, you want me to give you that 15, 30, 5, 6 ball? Are you kidding me? And Brody's like, no, I don't want to give you that. I Like, no, it, this shouldn't be on you. And then he gets back into it with the chair umpire. I will say this. 30-40, Liam Brody missed a serve by a foot's too much, but like definitively out. No call from the chair umpire. And Lexi kind of looks at him because Lexi drops that point and it goes back to Deuce. And he looks at the chair and he's like, what are you doing here? And it was clear. Like they lost control a little bit at the end of that match. And it's such a shame when that happens because, again, these guys are playing such high-level tennis. And Brody seemed to have finally found his rhythm as we went through that second set. But, you know, credit to Lexi who kept the pressure on him, who after dropping those two match points, 15-40, 30-40, playing very tentatively, got more aggressively – got more aggressive and took a ball early on the rise and laced this forehand cross-court that ultimately earned him the match point. I believe Brody double faults on the match point anyways, so – you know, again, I don't know if that's karma, if that's the tennis gods, whatever it may be. But, you know, talking to other people about Lexi and just hearing their game, the word that comes to mind is smooth. It's very, very smooth. It's very, very easy for Lexi Galarno to do just about whatever he wants out there on a tennis court. And again, does he have the biggest weapons in the world? No, he doesn't. You look for him 29-21 over his last 52 weeks. That's a lot of qualifying victories as well. I believe he's 12-6 and six in first matches uh, throughout the course of this time. In fact, you looked for him overall first matches here in main draws. Lexi 9-4, and four, excuse me, over his last 52 weeks. You know, nine first-round wins, that's not going to cut. And you look for him two, uh, three and six now in second matches, that's definitely not going to cut it to only, you know, again, it's got to get better if he wants to make that top 200 push. But I think he's done the things you need to do to get better. The first serve he's worked on, and again, the, the muscle he's gained, just trying to turn that into a weapon. And, you know, his core position, trying to get inside the baseline as opposed to right on or a bit behind it. I'm in on Lexi. You know, again, you look for Lexi Galarno, turns 23 years old in March of this year, already inside the top 400 with his quarterfinal result uh, here this week. Galarno uh, going to be back or back up to number 344. One more win for him this week. He'll jump all the way up to number 326, which would be six off his career high of number 320. I expect Lexi to hit a career high this season. His goal to be sh- should be to play U.S. Open qualities. And I'm sure that is his goal. It's a lofty one, but again, that 29 and 21, there's a lot of first match victories, not a lot of quarterfinals there. So there are definitely some low-hanging fruit for pickup opportunities for Lexi. Now, the, the calendar he plays is going to be crucial because 350, it's the vomit zone, but it's better than 375. 350, you're that much more likely to get in. And again, one more victory for him here this week. Now you're into the 320. He wins the title this week, which would be a big thing, obviously, for him. He would get into the top 300. Now you are getting into average challenger that you want to play or certainly getting very, very close to it. Now you're right on those borders, uh, on that border for Grand Slam qualities. So again, a quarterfinal, semifinal run from Lexi here. A quarterfinal was just what he needed, uh, but man, would he like one more victory to just give him that much more room for comfort in terms of the draws moving forward still 
AG, solid performance. We stick together. Very much looking forward to seeing him compete here uh, in his next match against Michael Moe, who, by the way, is the next player I want to talk about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Michael Moe advances 6-1, uh, 2-1 uh, withdrawal over Jack Sock, and Sock, who tested positive for COVID last week, and you could just tell was physically ailing at the start of this match. First game was a grind. Multiple deuces on the Michael Moe serve. Moe ends up holding. Then Moe, I believe, breaks Sock right away in game number one, and you could just tell from there Jack Sock was like, nope. I don't have it in the legs today. It's not working for me. Mo's tracking everything down. And I have to say, having not seen Michael Mo play in person for a while, oh my God, is this man an athletic marvel, just an Adonis. It takes him one stride to get from one side of the court to the other. And just his ability to be like, no, I'm going to, don't worry. Like you think the ball is out of his grasp and then he slides into it and he just tracks the ball down. And it's just, it feels like every plus one forehand Michael Moe hits, he's almost afraid to swing with as fast as he possibly can because of just how much arm speed and how much racket speed he's able to generate, how much torque he's able to produce. It's incredible. It, it really is incredible. And you look for Michael Moe, again, just uh, there's a roundness to his forehand. He creates action on it. If you give him time, he does. He did seem in particular against Sock to recognize, all right, Jack doesn't want to move. Let me go after my plus one ball. And he was more aggressive with his court positioning and trying to move forward. And just, you know, again, his backhand super condensed, definitely a flatter shot, but he's able to generate depth because of his strength and just absorb pace and you know, he has gotten more comfortable moving forward. Still not a great volleyer. I would argue still not a good volleyer either, but a competent volleyer certainly, which given his strength is what you need to be. But here's the big number for you. And this is indicative of where Sock was from a movement perspective as well. But Mo makes 71% of his first serves, 19 of 20 on first serve points. He was cleaning up the plus one chances. And just, you know, again, if Sock did manage to get a good look at the return, absorbing that plus one strike and just Again, changing direction, corner to corner to corner, and just his ability to neutralize pace and just, again, that first step. Oh, my God, that first step. And watching him move around the court, the fluidity of Michael Moe's game, how easy he makes it look. Look, Moe's been top 100 before in his career, number 96 back in 2018 when he was 20 years old. But he's also unequivocally struggled with constant injuries throughout the course of his career. Hasn't played more than 30 matches in a season since 2019. And you look for him last year, you know, again, was able to play 29 matches, I suppose, so pretty close. But just it felt like there were streaks of injuries, and it just felt like he wasn't at his absolute best. Now, he finally got healthy at the end of the season, and that's when we started to see some of the results return, whether it was, you know, the semifinals in Las Vegas, semifinals in Knoxville, semifinals in Puerto Vallarta at the end of the year year felt like he had started to finally build some momentum once again momentum no pun intended there and now he's into the quarterfinals and took advantage of the draw again yeah it's an ailing sock that's not his fault and you know he gets Kova round number one four to win over Kovacevic did a great job absorbing the serve the forehand for Mo and there's just a quality to Mo again 
he plays at the speed that you need to play at to be a top 100 professional. And while I do think, you know, again, his most natural gear on a tennis court is to be four, five, six feet behind the baseline playing defensive to offense tennis. It's not natural for him to be on top of the baseline moving forward. That's not the look instinctually he has built up, but you can tell he's worked on it. And I thought the plus one forehand was hit with particular sting, even if it was against a compromised Jack Sock. And Michael Moe is better than his number 242 ranking. And that's why with this result now and these results he's accumulated over the past couple of weeks, it's good to see him back into the top 250. Currently number 234, one win away from uh, getting back into the top 230 as well. He ends up winning the challenger this week. He will be all the way back up into the top 200. He'll be at exactly number 200 or 199 in the rankings that's where Michael Mo belongs. I mean, again, and you look for him, his peers, Kozlov's making another push, a guy who's also dealt with injuries, but he's making his push right now. Tiafo, Fritz, Paul Opelka, all comfortably in the top 100. That's who Michael Mo has grown up competing against. I'm sure from a standards perspective, that's the standard he holds himself to. Well, if those guys can do it, I know I can do it. Again, some of the, you know, I think there are a lot of parallels between Tommy Paul and Michael Mo. I think Paul was a little bit more comfortable moving forward to the at the net. I think Michael's got the bigger first serve and the the, the easier uh, an easier pathway to create free points for himself. Again, I think when you look at Michael Mo, if he can stay healthy for a full season, he should end the year in the top 120. Like he should qualify for a Grand Slam event. He should win a challenger title at some point throughout the course of the season. That's what he's done when he's been healthy throughout the course of his career. And I guess that would be my biggest takeaway about Michael Mo. You already knew a lot of those things, but most importantly, he looks healthy once again. He just looks redisciplined, refocused. There's a calmness and a poise to his performances this week. Really excited to see that poise get tested against Lexi, who's not going to give him anything for free. That should be a really fun match here on quarterfinal Friday. But of course, our last round of 16 on Thursday, I want to talk about quickly Yoshihito Nishioka, who, you know, fell outside the top 100 before the start of last week and, you know, then goes on to win the Columbus Challenger where he makes the fine, uh, you know, where he beats J.J. Wolf in three sets on his home turf and beats Gomez in three sets, then straight set wins over Brooksby and Stricker to get the job done. That is an impressive, that's a 250 quality run to the title, in my opinion, right there from Yoshihito Nishioka. And you could tell, you know, today against uh, yesterday, excuse me, against or whatever day it is, however you want to consider the nomenclature against Uchiyama, um, Nishioka was running out of gas and he wins that first set 6-4, gets broken early in set number two and you could just tell he's like, I'm not tracking that ball down. I don't have it in me. I got to conserve my strength, my energy if I'm going to make another push in set number three. But he did that and just again, Uchiyama had weapons when Nishioka didn't want to track, you know, had the opportunity to play decisively and certainly do some damage and look good throughout the course of this match. But ultimately, he didn't have weapons big enough to hurt Nishioka. And that's what it comes down to. We've seen that for Yoshi, who obviously 5'7", 5'8", doesn't have that overwhelming size. But tremendous quickness and tremendous feel and the ability to move you to the outer thirds, take your ball early on the rise, sneaky good sting on each and every ball that he hits. Of course, the lefty as well just puts you in uncomfortable positions, stretched wide on that ad side, you know, cross, cross line, such an effective pattern for Nishioka. It's a nice win streak that he's accumulated here. Seven in a row. Uh, Certainly, you look for him from a live rankings perspective for Yoshihito Nishioka with this run of success uh, that he's had. He is hovering right back in that top 100 range, and you look for Nishioka now. He is number 115 in the live rankings. A title this week would get him all the way back up to number 104. 
I mean, it's been a brutal last 52 weeks for Nishioka, 28 and 27 overall. Of course, you look for him going back to 2020 was 16 and 13 last year, 19 and 26 overall. Now, again, has really padded those stats here at the start of the season at the challenger level. But you look for him last 52 weeks at the ATP level, uh, Yoshihiro Nishioka, 10 and 24 overall in the ATP matches that he's played, has lost six consecutively as well, dating back to last year's Indian Wells second round. And by the way, you take out a first-round win over Del Bonis. He's lost, I believe, let's see, seven, 13 of his last 14, and you could say 15 of his last 17 ATP matches. That's rough for Nishioka. That's why I like the decision for him to come play these challenger events. And I know he was facing a two-week quarantine had he chosen to go back to Japan following the Open. So thus, I, you know, and he was like, I don't want to do that. I got to go play. I can't afford to fall much further out of the top 100. He's made the most of those opportunities. Difficult draws, yet no Nishioka. Again, if you don't have that overwhelming top 50 sort of weapon, if he's fit, He's going to break you down, and there just aren't many holes in the game of Nishioka other than the fact that, again, the second serve sits a little bit short. And yeah, if you have an overwhelming weapon, you can absolutely play on your terms, but absorbs, redirects so well, and it's great to just see him healthy, playing confidently, and also might be the kindest human in the world. I've run into him, I think, seven times now in the elevator. He's always got a smile on his face, and yeah, hopefully I get the chance to chat with him because I want all of you listeners to get to know him a bit better as well. But those were your singles matches on Thursday at the Cleveland Challenger. Now, I do want to briefly talk about the doubles action I saw unfold as well. First of all, Schnur Blumberg. Hot damn, are the former ITA All-Americans good. I mean, there's just a a pace they play with, an aggressiveness they play with. And yesterday, they took it to uh, Kozbinov and Istomin. And look, Dennis Istomin... He's got a big surf, big boy, and you could tell there were times when he tried to assert himself in that second set and take over the match, and Will and Schnur wouldn't let him, and they're both so comfortable at the net, and obviously Schnur's got a massive serve that lets Will clean up at the net, and Schnur's got such great hands as well, so, you know, I, when they would ch- try to challenge him at the net, it just, I thought he did a great job, just again, having those hands ready, first volley, split the middle, put them in a cuff tough position, force them to try and do something defensive, like throw up a lob. And, you know, Will and Max, too good at cleaning up those overheads and the positioning they play with and the mindset and the poise and the energy and just the confidence between the two. And I do think Max is the perfect partner for Will because, you know, Will's a thinker. He's very cerebral and he wants to, you know, talk through everything on the court. And Schnur has all the answers and Schnur's calm and never gets too flustered and just there's a presence there to him and a poise that I think Will vibes with quite well. And you can just tell the chemistry they've developed. There's a reason they've won four challenger titles and are into another semifinal here. And hopefully, you know, we get to see them play in a Grand Slam together because I would love to see how they compete as a duo as opposed to, you know, Will having to go play with a sock or someone else like I believe he's going to do in Dallas next week. I would love to see Schnur get those opportunities because shout out College Tennis, shout out Columbia Lions. But that, you know, again, they looked really good in their victory. Tell you what, I wasn't the biggest believer in Nico Godzik prior to seeing him play this weekend. I'm still not fully sold on the Godzik bandwagon, but I mean, he is very, very good. I think he's going to go play college tennis. I think he's going to be a very good college tennis player. You see the mechanics, the forehand, the ease with which he hits it, the serve, the competitiveness, you know, the instincts. That guy's been around tennis his entire life, and I thought he and Stricker played a really fun match against Galloway and Withrow. Stricker. 
I mean, again, in both doubles matches I watched for Stricker and Godzik. Stricker was just one of those, hey, I'm better than Robert Galloway at tennis. I'm better than Jackson Withrow at tennis. I'm better than Nico Godzik at tennis. Just let me dominate for a hot second here. That's what he did in set number two to force a third. But Galloway, Withrow, I mean, Robert Galloway is the winningest player in Cleveland Challenger history. Guy only makes finals here at this event. And Man, Jackson Withrow's jacked. Like I didn't realize how how ripped he was. And they just play such a clean, efficient brand of doubles, moving forward, returning and volleying, and getting in whenever a ball bounces so that they're two up and have that aggressive positioning. They just they were playing men's doubles. Nico and Stricker were trying to play men's doubles, but just didn't quite have the strength to do it quite yet. And so Galway Withrow advance in three. Good win for Gonzalez and Margoli. Uh, excuse me, Margaroli. Margaroli. There we go. Over Blancano and Fabiano, four and two. Just again, Gonzalez and Margaroli. They won the court positioning battle. And then I'll tell you what. There was a reason I was a believer in former TCU standout Reese Stalder. Guy's just got hands. Guy just again, if the ball is on his racket, he's going to do something special with it. He and Alex Lawson yesterday looked very good in a 6-love, six 6-3 six win. And by the way, again, six collegiate, seven, I think, uh, former college guys here reached the quarterfinals in doubles. And yeah, I mean, the top four seeds all advanced. It's going to be a really fun weekend of action on the doubles court. So looking forward to watching all of that unfold. But again, in the end, your top four seeds advance in doubles. And those are my thoughts from Thursday's action at the 2022 Cleveland Challenger. Of course, again, as I stated at the top, I'm going to try my absolute hardest to get these guys on the record, turn the informal to formal conversations with these players so you can hear from them. If we do, they'll all be on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed or available as videos on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Again, I do apologize for the lack of mini break podcasts over the past few days. That's going to change today. I'm talking ATP events. You all will be able to find that up on your feed later today. Of course, a shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible, whether it be our ITA recaps, which you can find here on this show or all of it on our YouTube channel, all of the above. He is the best in the business, of course. Again, find all of our uh, latest content you can tow to our website, crackrackets.com. The immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at crackrackets. You want to follow me directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. Uh, with all that said, shout out to our friends at Swing Vision for their continued support as well. Before my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.